This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to the sixth episode of my 2023 Rugby World Cup preview series. We move on to Pool C today and start the group by looking at Eddie Jones's Wallabies. It was a dismal rugby championship for Eddie, losing all three games, but can this esteemed coach turn their fortunes around in France? Joining me to look ahead to Australia's tournament are two further debutants of this pod. Firstly, I'm joined by the strong other half of the esteemed Roar Rugby pod, Brett McKay. Welcome on, Brett. Hello, Matt. How are you? It's great, great to be part of this. No problem at all. And joining him is Rugby Fixation podcast host, Mitch Evans. Thanks for coming on, Mitch. Pleasure to be here. Always going to chat rugby. Oh, of course, of course. And I suppose the the excitement is hopefully starting to kick in now at this stage, lads, as the World Cup creeps closer. I'll come to you first, Brett. Are you excited about the, the upcoming campaign? It's it's getting serious now, isn't it? Where like you know the start of the rugby championship was sort of like okay, all right, like this is edging closer now. But now that we're actually beyond that, um, yeah, all of a sudden you realise there's only one warm up game <laughs> between between now and things getting very very serious. And um, you know, uh, not a lot of time for the, from a Wallabies point of view to find a bit of form, and that's uh, exciting and concerning in equal quantities. Mitch, what's your uh, take? Are you excited and concerned, as as your podcast friend <laughs> mentioned here? Yeah, I'm I'm very much um, short term in my time of thinking, so it's still a little bit of way out to get super, you know, excited counting down the days, etc. But uh, I'm going to be over in France for at least three of Australia's pool matches, so I'm pretty keen. Um, I think it's been booked for a while, so I think once we're on the plane, that's when sort of excitement will really hit fever pitch, but. For me, I got um, that first twinge scrolling through Stan Sport uh, last night and just looking at all the uh, World Cup uh, games they've got on there, all the pre-match um, you know, warm-up fixtures, all the games that are going on in sort of the uh, Summer Nation series and that sort of stuff. There's just so much rugby on. And so that's the bit that's going to be really exciting, just seeing all the permutations. There's so many tight pools and just saying, okay, well, who's sort of deceiving who at the moment, getting those first little scalps and just, you know, I guess getting the game started, just getting the mind game set up to say, okay, we're coming in as favourites, we're coming in hot, or we're coming in as underdogs, look out. So that's that's getting me ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it's that, I suppose, as you say, getting on the plane is one thing. I was actually talking to a, a, a friend of ours there the other day, and he's a friend down in Australia who supports Australia, and he said he's flying over for four pool games, I believe, or three, maybe three, I don't know. And he literally just turned to me and was like, I don't know why you do it. <laughs> but listen, it, it's too late at this stage. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's easy for yeah. us to sit in this high horse at the moment as Grand Slam champions. Like, but, you know, as we record, they haven't kicked the ball yet. Um, yeah. But Irish yeah. rugby fans would be very familiar with the new Australian head coach, Eddie Jones, as, as it goes without saying. It's the only place we can start, really, to be honest. Like, 
Um, like he was all, he was appointed off the back of what, in my opinion, seemed like an untimely dismissal of Dave Rennie. Um, and like Mitch, I'll come to you first on this one. Like, do you think it was wrong of the ARU to sack Rennie? Or I, I'll, I'll give you a bit of leeway here. Is it too early for us to really say that? Might be too early. I think when it first happened, I was kind of alone in my group chat of thinking that it was a bit unfair. Uh, a lot of my other mates had got um, quite fed up with the results and thought, you know, it is world-class coach. He's coming in. He knows um, the lay of the land in Australia and he's got an awesome track record with the World Cup. So I thought um, a lot of them were quite happy to see the back of Rennie. And I thought, well, he had the most ridiculous injury plague I've ever seen, like untimely numbers. I think it was, you know, over 40 at points um, last year of players that were out. Um, it, it was just ridiculous. So when I looked back at Rennie, I thought he gave 69 players a crack throughout his, you know, 34 games. Um, 33 of them were players that he debuted during that time. So he, he knew the players that he wanted to bring into the system. And of those 33 players, they needed, uh, I think it was a smidge over 300 of the tests um, caps that he gave out. You know, so it was about 40% of the test caps he gave out were these new players. So the one thing that makes me a bit concerned is that I do think Rennie knew his squad, knew the team he wanted, and if everyone was healthy, I think he would have gone quite far in the World Cup. And it's probably where a lot of Australians had that hope of, well, with this draw, we could make the semis quite reasonably. Um, Eddie Jones is complete class, but unfortunately because it's new systems, new coaches, new everything, a few new players, um, it's going to be really hard to try and hit the ground running. And we've seen that with three straight losses, um, you know, to kick things off in the rugby championship. So I think it's probably a little early, but it's an awesome long game approach to keep Eddie for, you know, two World Cups and a Lions tour. So in that regard, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, fair enough. And just, yeah, you touched on, how many players did you say he used there? Sorry. 69 in total. Uh, okay. And 33 of them were ones that he gave the uh, debut cap to. So, you know, it was, it was pretty significant numbers, um, okay. especially in some key, Positions. We'll probably touch on that later, but there were probably yeah. three key positions that he just really rifled through changes and never really settled on an option. Yeah, no, that's interesting because the I think Andy Farrell has given about thirty new caps, um, just as a contrast, and cat played about seventy players. But obviously, that's different. Where every two year, every two years in the World Cup cycle, we have the Lions tour as well, mm-hmm. where Ireland would have lost a good yeah. few players. So it is interesting to just compare the numbers while we have them. Um, and that's it's great to have them on you as well, Mitch. Um, also, on Eddie, then I'll come to you for this one, Brett. Like, what can he do to turn the ship around at this stage? I know it's only been three games, and again, mm. we, we don't want to be too hyperbolic here, but what do you think he can do, if Anthem? He's... He's got to he's got to find a common he's got to find his combinations yeah and I, and I don't think he's done that like he'd used um, he'd use, he used thirty five different players across the rugby the rugby championship so that's that's a lot of change across three games um, so uh, you know even going from the last the first Bledisloe to the second uh, he only made four changes to the starting lineup and there was another couple on the bench so he's been making a lot of changes every week and 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 I don't know that he's completely sold uh in a couple of positions I think he's still trying to work out I, I think he's developing a couple of different methods for back row he can pick he can pick bigger if he wants to he can pick a big faster if he wants to if he wants to play a more on ball game he can if he wants the big bodies he, he can do that as well but um he's He's still making a lot of a lot of tweaks. Um, obviously, you, losing Alan Alalatoa um, in the first blood as low was a huge blow, um, and you know he was literally going to be one of the cornerstones of. The, <clears throat> excuse me, he was literally going to be one of the cornerstones of the of the Australian pack, and so for him to go down, uh, I would, yeah, the old joke about tight heads is that they're the first ones picked and the second one named on the team sheet's number 18, isn't it? So, you know, we're really trying, trying to see or really learning quickly and, and, and harshly um, how important a position that is because the alternates and particularly, you know, Tanya Latupo is a long way off being a, a starting player, I think. He's, he's going to be bench impact for a good while yet, coming back from an Achilles injury. And then behind him, it's just a lot of guys with no experience. So that's a, that's a massive concern. <laughs> 
he's got some good locks, lock measure, uh, lock, good lock, lock options in the mix, and he's and he's tried all or most of them. Um, I think he's edging towards his his centre combination, but Lenny Tao's return will be crucial in that. I think he's still aiming at probably playing White and Cooper, but he's certainly been very deliberate in getting game time into Carter Gordon as well, and that's not a bad thing at all. So, um, yeah, he's he has just made a lot of change, and he did that as well through his his last couple of years at England. He just made changes every every game and it just sort of felt like he really didn't know what his best team was and uh, you know as we say now as we get closer there's not a lot of time to try and bed that down and, and I think back to 2019 talking about number of players used you know Michael Checker made something like 74 or 75 changes in total across the uh, across the, the games and that's positional and personnel obviously but that's a lot of change in whatever it was, six games. So, um, yeah, I, I I wonder. That's the concerning bit, um, and he doesn't have a lot long. doesn't have a lot of, lot of time now to, to to turn it around for all those balls to fall in their place. It's it's not ideal, and like obviously the the rugby championship started and go great as we know. Mm. Um, like they lost, they played three, lost three combined like their points difference was minus 65 over three games like that's it's just not enough really like you can mm. put it whatever way that's just not enough i'll i'll ask you brett do you want to just run us through those games as as a whole just first of all just a quick overview because some people mightn't have seen them and then maybe touch on what we may have learned or kind of wanted to the, learn the, or didn't the, learn the rugby championship yeah well yeah, started with the the yeah, started with the heavy loss in in Pretoria, um, and the start the start of a bit of a worrying trend because the Wallabies only had about thirty percent possession and made two hundred odd tackles, um, and were just blown away in in the in the end uh, by by the by the Springboks who were who were pretty red hot um, at a, a fairly packed uh, Loftus Versfeld Stadium. The following week, back in Sydney against Argentina, they. It was a much improved performance, I thought. Um, they certainly played a, a faster style. Fraser McWright came in at um, at open side. Uh, Mark Nitawazi starred on the right wing, um, and he's been there ever since. Um, but this is also where the injuries started. They lost Lenny Kitao in that game, uh, and that caused a major reshuffle. Sami Karevi went to 13. Carter Gordon, who'd only debuted, late off the bench in Pretoria, suddenly he's into a test, whatever it was, 18 or 20 minutes in, and he's playing inside centre. And there was a there was a weird sort of combination going on. He and he and Quade Cooper often trying to defend on, literally on the same patch of turf and they found themselves in a bit of trouble there as, as well. So um, they were a lot better. They got back into the game knowing Nittawazi took a 95-metre uh, intercept try to actually regain the lead late in the game. And then Argentina scored, oh, whatever it was, 12 or 15 phases in about four minutes after time um, down in the, in the in the bottom corner. So that was a narrow loss that was probably more painful because they had been in a position to win. Um, and then we went to Melbourne for the first Bledisloe after that. And it was a really, imp- again, really improved first half, I thought. Um, they were... That held Adi Savia up um, just before half time, and that was twelve seven at that point. And thinking this is actually a really good first half, and then the All Blacks held it for twenty plus phases. Will Jordan scored in the corner, and it's nineteen seven at half time. And that to me actually didn't feel like a, a a real reflection of the of the contest. After it, it was just one way traffic, and the All Blacks ran in. Uh, ran in another four tries and, and blew it away pretty comfortably in the end, 38-7. But the two major factors out of those three games has been that there's been five yellow cards, or there was five yellow cards, and Australia's tackle count is well north of 600, might have been pushing 700. You know, it was it was sort of 200 and it was 250. And second Bledisloe, it was 280-odd attempt tackle attempts like they still made 260 but it's 280 tackle attempts so you know like guys like Rob Valentini tackled more than they carried um Tom Hooper came in at, at 
open side uh, for the first Bledisloe test and had um, 30 odd tackles for the game. He had 23 tackles by half time. So they are literally tacking themselves to a standstill. And when they do have the ball, they're making mistakes because they're trying to push it um, and uh, and they're coughing up possession. And, and, and as we know, you know, all you know, most penalties are often off given up in, in defense. And so the penalty count then is becoming crippling as well. So, yeah, well, that's 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 the summary of things, and that's why we're uh, excited at the prospect of turning things around come World Cup, but concerned that if this carries on, uh, it's it's going to be a worry. Yeah, it's it, it's easy to kind of just look at a scoreline, but obviously there there is more context to it. You, like even you know the tackle count. You look at discipline has been a big issue for Australia as mm. well. Injuries, as he said, was was obviously more of a deal for anything. The, the the man didn't get a chance when it came to injuries, but I'll throw it over to Mitch now. Um, do you want to just take through any, Anthony, you felt we learned about Australia in these games or even just players who may have put their hand up or not put their hand up, for instance? Um, I was quite lucky. The South Africa match to kick things off, I had a little bit of hope that it was also the weekend of my brother's uh, Bucks weekend. And so we'd been away. It was the second night. We were all... Um, you know, we'd had a few drinks and it was a few of us left to be like, oh, we're still awake. Well, let's, let's get the game on. I'm, I'm keen to watch it. I wouldn't have missed it, but it was nice to have a few people to watch it with. And after the start, it was like, oh, this is this is actually pretty promising. That's a nice, well-worked try. Like, nice to get first points on the board. And then just sort of one-way traffic, a lot of the guys there just sort of bemoaning why we're watching this and why I'm not a league fan and things like that. So um, it, that was sort of all too familiar. But the thing that I guess worked from that game was just seeing that, you know, you can't just throw in a new coach, all these new things, and just hope that it works. Like, Reese Hodge hadn't really played much 12. I, I got the understanding that, you know, he's got a massive boot, um, and that's, you know, quite useful, you know, presumably in the high belt, you know, you can use it to some effect. But we didn't really get to see that. He played, I think, two matches starting at 12 for the Rebels that year. Um, he's been sort of thrown all across the back line. So, like, to expect him to know exactly how to work there without having really played directly outside Quaid before, um, yeah, it was just a big gamble that didn't pay off. And he's obviously paid the price for that by being sort of kicked from the squad. Um, the thing that's probably stood out most, Brett's covered the games really well there in terms of the results and how they played out. The thing that stood out is Eddie Jones picked these um, utility players who I don't actually think qualify as utilities. It was a kind of an interesting thing where he, he labelled these players as utilities, whereas I don't think they really were. And the players he's kicked out from the squad, Pete Samu, our most versatile back rower can cover every position very comfortably. And most teams recognize he's the best bench option we've got um, in terms of a loose forward. The, you know, Reese Hodge, he's nearly, I would have thought, a, a rugby world cup spot guaranteed because he just covers every position. Like you just have mm. one spot there, a very backup 10, a very backup 12, 13, 15. If you really need to, a wing against Portugal, he could, he could do the job there. Um, so he's, and even Tom Wright, you know, he's proven himself the form super rugby um, fullback was, I think, one of the form wings in um, in Rennie's tenure as well. So it's it's very interesting that he's kept in people that he deems utilities and got rid of these really versatile, experienced players. So to mm. me, I like that Eddie's picked a really consistent team um, for the back-to-back blood as games. That seems promising and that he's got the same back line. It's not as mass changes as it were between South Africa and Argentina. But the thing that stands out is the people he's removed from the squad. I, I am very keen to see his sort of understanding on that. And when he picks his World Cup squad, if they don't come back in or they don't replace some of these people, which I'm sure we'll get to, it's it's really quite mind-boggling because he's got all these players mm. he's not yet tested and all this experienced options. He said, well, actually, you're not versatile enough despite being these, you know, yeah. very versatile, unique players. And that's going to be the that's going to be the really curious thing here, Kailani. It, it could well be a case that guys like Hodge and Samu come back in, and these so-called utility players that he named, and that was a complete yeah. and utter burphy. Like it was, it was genuinely yeah. ridiculous that the way he yeah. explained that. Um, yeah, Samu and Hodge could well, I I think could still could well come in, come back into a World Cup squad, and these utility players. With the possible, with the exception of Josh Kemeny, who did debut against Argentina, they'll get dropped out without actually having played a game. They would have been in the squad the whole time and never played a game. And 
it'll be for nothing. But it's all it's also quite likely that if and when that happens, there'll be so many other things going on that we won't really actually get a chance to get into what on earth were you thinking? And and why have we wasted time with with these guys in a squad that just were never ever going to play the kind of role that that he was trying to suggest? So anyway, that's life with Eddie Jones, as I'm sure England fans would attest to. <laughs> yeah, it was um there was always something going on in his time in England. That's that's for mm. sure. And I, I, I get his I, I I got his thinking that, you know, in a in a pool game or in a quarterfinal or a semifinal, you, you, and there's, there's injuries and there's can you know, um, uh, you know uh, concussion protocols and things like that. You're going to need um, you know setters and wingers to pack on the side of scrums or yeah, you know, where there's yellow cards, you, you you might need a back row to run out that you know outside center on the wing for a bit. But Josh Kemeny was never starting a game on the wing. Dylan Peach was never going to start a game at back row. So why pretend that that's a possibility? It's it was just madness. It honestly was madness. I think sometimes it's it's important to draw these back to examples that maybe listeners will be more familiar with. And like Munster played Glasgow in the URC semi-final or quarterfinal a couple of months back, and they lost three of their starting forwards to concussions in the last 10 minutes. They had a prop on the wing and they had a flank or a prop on the flank and a flanker on the wing. But if they mm. ever turned around and started it for the sake of, oh, it might happen, like you'd be mm. laughing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that's I know yeah. Eddie Jones likes to think he's moving the needle, but he's not really. Do you know? No, no. If it comes if it comes at a stage where you know Pete Samu had to run at twelve, or Michael Hooper had to run at twelve or thirteen, if he if he um, if, if he happens to regain fitness, then no no one's going to. No one's going to worry about that because that was obviously driven by the circumstances. Yeah. But to try and to, but to try and convince everyone from the outset that Dylan Peach was a genuine option to play back row from the start of a game is just yeah. BS. There's no other way of putting it. Yeah. It was just it was just madness. He tried to convince an awful lot of people in England that Jack Noel was a flanker as well, and that <laughs> yeah. that never came true. Yeah, yeah. Like we'll, we'll move on from that a small bit more towards the playing personnel. I know you've name checked. Plenty of guys, but like Eddie decided to name just a 34-man squad for the rugby championship, which seemed baffling. Definitely one of the smallest mm. anyone named for any pre-World Cup squad in any form. Like left very little room for experimentation, even if, as we talked about with the utility players or, or so on. And Mitch, can you take us through your thoughts on that's that 34-man panel? Um, and whether or not this this may seem a bit harsh, whether or not they're living up to their potential or whether it's just that betting in phase of a coach, because you look at the names, <laughs> they really shouldn't have lost three games by a combined 65 points. No, no, they shouldn't. And it's it's an interesting squad. I think one of the big challenges is um, you know, and I, I like to do it as well, but quite often, you know, the number of caps have been put together by teams, and we've really um, recently been able to blow out the numbers a bit by having Slipper and Hooper involved, you know, that gives you 250 plus caps just between them. So it can really make a team sheet look like it's a lot more experienced than it is. You could add in Alalatoa quite quickly to that as well. Um, and then when you look at the teams now uh, with a few of the injuries picking up, um, it is a concern because I, I looked at the squad. Um, the average age is blown up by that. But when I look at the median, like we take the exact middle value, the 17th player, 18th player has 13 test caps. You know, it's a really inexperienced squad. So when I look at potential, I do think um, some players have really grabbed with both hands. Like Carter Gordon, really rough transition as a 10 to come in, but I think he's done a really good job, um, you know, taking on a, such a difficult role. Um, but the thing that really just, I, I can't wrap my head around really, he has picked a lot of players he wants to see and he wants to get this team sort of worked out so he knows his Rugby World Cup squad, which is the whole intention. But he's got so many players he still hasn't given a crack to yet. Like Matt Fazler's in the squad was, I think, the best line-out operating forward in Super Rugby. But he hasn't been tested. Um, Blake Shop, very good. Maybe close to the form. Lizette probably had a remarkable season, really breakthrough season. Still hasn't been tested. Uh, Ryan Lonergan, no caps yet. Dylan Peach, no caps yet. Uh, and then players that have got experience, not a heap, but have some experience, he's still not tried... Lalakai Fakedi, Lungi Gleeson, um, Ben Donaldson, and at least Fakedi and Gleeson, I imagine, are in the World Cup squad. So 
to me, I, I've got no real issue with the personnel he's picked. Um, there's a few players I'd move out and a few I'd move in, but to me, it doesn't really make much sense. He's got to pick this squad really soon, and we don't have some of these players having actually been tested or seen, is this the third hooker I take? I've only tried to. Is this the third halfback I take? I've mm-hmm. only tried to. Um, it's it's very interesting. So personnel, I'm not, yeah, I've got no issues with, but the use of them really, I think, is a bit confusing. It's crazy. And like he, again, for the interest of fairness, he has only had three games so far, but then at the same time, you know, if you have three games and you have three hookers or three loose head props, starting one, benching one, leaving out. Like it's 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 not really hard yeah. to to get that balance if mm. if throwing the rugby championship yeah. is something he was looking at. And like I'm gonna start with the negative side of this question if you don't mind, but I will come on to the positive side. Um like in terms of omissions, which is something every fan goes to, is there anyone? And I'd like to put in to wear Carbarlo into the mix there, who is Aussie qualified and said he would. And a lot of people up here in this side of the world would recognize him as being one of the best nines in Europe at the mm. moment. But he is out in the cold as far as Eddie Jones is concerned. But there could be someone else if you want to talk about someone else as well. <laughs> yeah. And look, he, he was out in the cold as far as Dave Rennie was concerned. And uh, the way Dave Rennie explained it, I haven't changed my mind on it. And that was to simply say he's shown. Absolutely no interest in Australian rugby up until the point that he's suddenly eligible. And he it's a classic case of, I know he's a very good player. He was a very good player before he left New Zealand to go to France. He was good enough to play for the All Blacks. He's a very good halfback. But we have, we have this fantastic phenomenon in Australia where players automatically get better when they leave. Uh, it's sort of because they're, they're out yeah. of view... They're they're out of you know week to week um, uh, scrutiny and and, um, and and highlight and all that sort of thing, and so the assumption is that if you play in a, a top fourteen final or a European Cup final or a you know, URC final Premiership final, you're obviously better than any other option that's currently running around in Australia, and there's just no way to make that comparison or make that call, and so um, I, I the only I'm, I'm not thinking about Tawara Kerbala. He's a he's a very very good player, but I'm not considering him. He, 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 I yeah. just don't I just don't see the upside in that. I don't see the upside in bringing a guy in for six weeks, and as soon as that campaign is over, he's not coming back to Australia. He's staying in France. So I just I just don't see the point in that. Um, could it happen? Maybe. Who knows the way Eddie Jones is thinking at the moment? But I agree with. With Mitch, it's been it's been a bit it's it's been a bit curious to see the squads, and it has been a streamlined squad. Argentina ran forty five during during the rugby championship, so it has been a curious squad. I can I can see why he's done that because he's only going to have thirty three uh, in France for the World Cup. Though he's going to he can be a bit clever by having an Australia A squad and an Australia laden <laughs> barbarian squad in, uh, in in circulation in Europe as well. So. The, the replacements will be over there. There's there's no concerns about that, I suppose. But uh, as for guys that aren't in the squad um, right now who might still be in contention, we, we've touched on Pete Samu and um, and Reese Hodge. I'm I'm quite sure they're still in the mix. It'll be it'll be a curious explanation when they when and if they do get recalled. But I think they're still very much in the mix. Um, someone like Sam Talakai, the the Rebels tight head prop, I think, is now pretty firmly in the mix um, as well with, with Al Alatoa out. Um, he's got a little bit of experience, but not much, but he's probably um, the closest sort of workhorse tight head in Australia to, to Al Alatoa, and I think that is going to be important because, um, as I mentioned, you know, Tupo and Thal Masili um, are really only bench options as far as I can see at the moment. Um, and then, I mean, there'll be conversations about a guy like Harry Wilson and all that, but I think he's just on the edge of a really hot field at back row. And you look at the guys that, that are there in the squad and they're all sort of capable of adopting, uh, playing slightly different games. So, so like 
Jed Holloway could play lock if need be. Tom Hooper has played lock for the for the Brumbies, but you know, plays plays six and now seven. Um Valentini certainly covers covers six. Um, um yeah, Pete Sam, if he comes back in, can can play all three and has played all three at, at test level. So there's there's a lot of versatility there. And I think it's hard for Harry Wilson to get back in that when his game is really the same, whether he's playing six or eight. Uh, and I think he's a lot of people and a lot of Queensland fans particularly will say, well, he was he, he was the most carries in in Super Rugby and he was the most most metres made and all that. And that's all very true. But his issue was that he didn't get past the game line a lot. He was often stopped. And so he did a lot of carrying, but he also didn't get any offloads away. He didn't make too much too many metres metres past that. And so I just don't think he's going to find any way of squeezing in. Uh, I'm just not sure how that's going to happen. Um so um I don't I don't know. I, I think the squad that he names for the World Cup, um, and it's not far off happening, I think it'll come from players that we've seen already that are either in squads currently or have been in squads through the rugby championship. I don't think there'll be any uh World Cup bolters, put it that way. Um and Kurt Barlow would certainly be a bolter, but I I just I'm not I'm not seeing it happen. That's understandable. Um, I, if I was more technologically advanced, I would have like a little ding every time a former monster person or player was mentioned. A dead hallway was brought up this time. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I did not have the technical skills, but it's like it was the same way with uh, Jason Holland being brought up on the New Zealand podcast. But anyways, um, good, good to see the monster uh, brand spreading. Um, <laughs> just... And this is open to the two of you. You can both jump in one after the other, really. Just guys we should keep an eye on as well. Maybe not even like the likes of the Michael Hoopers of this world, um, but just guys who could take the work up by storm if Australia do well. And I, I feel like I know what answer you're going to give, but I'll, I'll wait and see. So I think Mark Nogginidwasi has really put his name back on the map. Um, for people that maybe missed the end of year two last year, you know, since forgotten with all the good rugby in between, he really lit it up at moments. And I think um, the the blessing for him is uh, Suliasi Vinavalu actually provided quite a platform to contrast just how good he is. So I think he <laughs> really could be one, especially if there's a little ball in space, he'll, he'll light it up. The, the one that I'm really hoping for is Rob Valentini. Um, I mm. think he's really, really respected uh, world round. I'm not sure if, Universally, people put him in the same category as a Gregory Aldrich or Kalen Doris or Adi Sevilla. I think they're sort of looked as the three pinnacles. Um, Dwayne Vermeulen obviously has all the experience as well. Not that he's guaranteed to start, but he's got that sort of reputation. Valentini is really, really close to that category of play. And I think with a really you know strong performance at this World Cup, could actually show us like, hey, I'm, I'm actually with these guys, if not mm. you know able to push above at times too, because he's just a freak. And... He's potentially been let down a little bit by the constant rotation at six and not having a settled um, back row. He's had to pick up the slack of, you know, uh, potentially who's been around him and with him. And maybe we haven't got the back row lock balance right. But for me, Rob Valentini, I just think he could really stamp a claim on, you know, being a dominant back row and dominant eight for this World Cup. Yep. Brett, have you anyone yeah. you want to add to that? Yeah. But I feel like we've, I feel like I've been talking about Nick Frost since about March um, and he's just, he had, a, had an outstanding super rugby season um, and his first, his first couple of tests this year have been, have been really, really good as well. And, and in and around some some pretty good company with Will Skelton and Richie Arnold both coming back. And he's, um, you know, he's maintained a spot in the, like he's, he started um, three of the four tests before, um, before the Wallabies went to, went to France uh, with both Skelton and Arnold, um, and you know he's kept guys like Matt Phillip, you know, out of the out out of the out of the starting twenty, well, out of the twenty three, which is some pretty good going because Matt Phillip is a quality quality lock. Uh, so Nick Frost could have a real uh, a real a real impact. But the one who I'm probably excited about, um, and he's just come back in the in the first two in the two Bledisloe tests is Angus Bell. Who just had such huge impact in Melbourne, particularly, uh, was just busting tackles and making line breaks at a different point. And you forget how 
uh, how mobile and even how quick in open space he is. And so uh, that's been great to see. If he he's got some ball skill about him, but if he can if he could get it and put a consistent offload into his game, he could genuinely be one of the best loose heads in the world. Um, his ability to go to the line and get a ball away would just be invaluable for for any team that he's playing at. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes on an international stage now. And um, James Slipper's, you know, test career is certainly not done and there'll be rotation. There will be rotation between the two of them. Um, But, but Bell's the sort of player that can have an impact, whether he's wearing one or 17. um, And that's really exciting. No. Um, That just, I did mention at the top there, there was one name I was waiting to hear and it was, um, Mark Nwanganiswase. I think yeah. I I butchered that, but anyways, I I need to get used to saying it's pretty close. World Cup. It's pretty close. He's gonna have yeah. a good World Cup, but um, yeah. in my in my eyes as well. But um, yeah, I I think like there's a lot of good names mentioned there. Not not everyone would be known up here because again, Super mm. Rugby, as I've said before, not doesn't have the pull that it used to have um in northern mm. audiences. But I suppose. The, we'll, we'll move on to the tournament now because we've covered quite a lot on Eddie and, and the players and Australia found themselves in Pool C alongside Wales and Fiji and as we mentioned before we came on and recorded Wales and Fiji and Australia just seem to be in every World Cup group at this stage <laughs> Um, like even if Australia do slip up you'd still imagine they'll make the last eight that if, if that does happen it could be a scenario where everyone beats everyone and then would be facing England, Argentina, or Japan in in that quarterfinal. So, Mitch, what do you think? What is the aim and point for Australia coming into this um, coming into this World Cup? Definitely, because I think um, the draws been spoken about so much. And pre Eddie Jones coming in with Dave Rennie, I think everyone was like, you know what, we just get a good campaign together, and injuries, you know, sort of say pay at least enough to name a, a reasonably strong twenty three then the semifinals, sort of an expectation. Um, and we'll just see what happens from there. I, I think that's changed somewhat with Eddie coming in and not getting the immediate results. I think maybe there's a bit more trepidation. But the thing I keep coming back to is the draw is so favourable, even just beyond the positioning of the pools, for the allocation of the fixtures. So for the Wallabies, I, I really love our warmth. So we go uh, Georgia, have a week, Fiji, have a week, Wales. So it's a really nice sort of progression, I think. It probably matches the world rankings of, you know, getting slightly harder, slightly different game styles, and then finished on the 1st of October with the game against Portugal. So that's a really nice build-up. You can sort of rest a few at the end. But the thing that I like, presuming we make a quarterfinal, the quarterfinals are until the 14th and 15th. But on that weekend of the 7th and the 8th, England, Samoa, and Argentina are all playing. And Japan, sorry. Mm. Those four likely opponents are all playing that weekend while we're resting. So to me, that is such a massive leg up that we could have close to 14 days, you know, two-week turnaround uh, while our opponents, you know, especially I think England are playing Samoa. Uh, on the chance that we get to play them, which I'm sure Eddie would love, um, on the chance we get to play them, they're going to be battered and bruised. We've got two weeks rest. I, I don't think literally ever has been a better run-up for uh, Australia to have a crack at this. Um, and, and as people keep saying, winning three matches in a row, really difficult against top-tier opposition. Uh, but we shortened that to, you know, having such a dream quarterfinal, two matches, um, while still so unlikely at the moment, does just give everyone that little bit more hope and maybe a, a bit of a what-if scenario. So I, I actually still think semifinals is a realistic expectation. And I think... At the very least, what Eddie's talking about, he'll be telling them finals, he'll be telling them champions. But I, I do think just with that run in, semifinals really should be what they're looking for. They should have all these dates circled. They know who uh, is running out at each of those fixtures, just to know, you know, this 23, whether it's against Argentina, England, Samoa, Japan, whoever it happens to be, they're going to be so primed. Like, you, you couldn't ask for much more than that. Right, so are you going to put your head above the, par- above the parapet and say they could make a final, or are you content to say it's semi-final is the end? No, uh, look, I, I'll, I actually think they'll, and, and I'm quite sure they will, I, I think they'll pair it back even further than that and just say that that getting past the pool stage is the first step, and that will be all that matters oh, at that point. Um, and and you're right, the draw is, um, is certainly... They've, 
we should we should say that, that they've added more time in like the, this, this World Cup with the longest one ever, and they've added more time between games very deliberately, um, so as not to uh, disadvantage the, the the lower ranked teams because they were often playing games with you know four and sometimes three days turnover in uh, in previous yeah. years, and that's just ridiculous. So now everyone has pretty much got a week between games, which is which is good to see, um, and. Uh, and you're right, Australia not playing the weekend before the quarterfinals is a huge benefit because um, England do play some. Oh, you're right, but Argentina and Japan play as well. So, so there's you know a potential matchup as well, which which could have an impact. So, there's no doubt Wales and Fiji are the, are the two games they absolutely need to win. And and if they win those, then they'll be in a really really good position to to get through. And so that's that's going to be the um, uh, the the first goal, if you like, for the project. So. That will be where all the focus is. Um, Wales, as we know, are going through a bit of a, I'll dumb it down, say rough patch. It's a bit more than a rough patch at the moment, isn't it? But they're in a, they're, they're not in a, in a great, they're in a similarly, similarly rough, rough spot. Um, Fiji could be anything in this tournament. They rolled out, rolled out teams through the, um, through the Pacific Nations Cup uh, against Samoa, Tonga, Japan as well. And it was basically a f- complete Fijian and Drua side from Super Rugby. They literally pulled a Drua jersey off, put a flying Fijian jersey on. It was the same team. And they played exceptionally well. And so they're already seeing the benefits of being Super Rugby. And it was there's certainly an argument that it was overdue, but they have grabbed that bull by the horns and they're making it um, making it work for them. So so they're going to be uh, incredibly dangerous. They'll be confident. They'll absolutely be be, be aiming up against Australia as a um, as a scalp, and, and they'll be thinking if they can beat Australia, then they can definitely cater for for Wales. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about Fiji playing quarterfinals, which is you know a real possibility. Um, if the, if Australia if the Wallabies can get through to a quarterfinal, then anything is possible after that. And 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 all of a sudden you're only talking about you know you you just win another game and you just win another game and you just win another game and you, and they are in a final. And so then it sort of becomes a week to week type thing. The first month or five weeks of the tournament is going to be important, but you get through that first month and then it becomes week to week. And they. I think as players and as coaches, they all enjoy that. They all enjoy the, all right, what do we need to do? Who are we preparing for this week? Uh, what do we learn from from last week? What do we need to tweak? Um, you know, get our patterns, get our game plan, get our set piece right, do captain's run, get into the game. They're back into that week-to-week grind, if you like, of, um, of Super Rugby. So so that's why I say I think they'll, they'll pair it back and they'll just make – Getting through Pool C, the, the 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 most important part, and it is the most important part because if they don't do that, then it doesn't matter what happens uh, in in the knockout point, no matter how good or or, or or bad or easy the draw might be. If they can't get through Pool C, it doesn't matter anymore. That's that's obviously the the, the first point. I just want to pick up on the point you made there, Brett. Brett, um, Fiji, like obviously they have the Fiji and Drew side, which has had. Um, more successful Super Rugby campaign than the year before. Mm. Could they kind of come into this World Cup in the same vein that maybe Japan did last time? In so far as yeah, a lot of players together and maybe I'm not going to say Japan were written off; they weren't because obviously they're at the back of that big win in 2015. But could they kind of be coming in under the radar in that regard? As in, yeah, maybe people aren't talking that way. The similarities for Fiji this year might not necessarily be Japan 2019, but it might be Japan in 2015 um, and who Eddie Jones was coach of at the time and he geared them up for 18 months. They Their one focus in 2015 was beating South Africa in Brighton and they knew that if they could do that uh, and South Africa at the time were, were quite up and down, <laughs> they were a long yeah. way off the, the world champions they are now, but they knew back then that if they could beat South Africa in Brighton, then anything was possible after that. And them beating Brighton was what absolutely put them into on the radar and uh, for, for 2019 and why they had such a such a great tournament. And they beat they beat Ireland, didn't they, mate? Um, yeah. so, <laughs> so I'm sorry to bring that up. Yeah, that's um, fun. Uh, and they uh, the, the 
the World Cup in Japan in 2019 became such a great tournament because of how well Japan went. There's no no question about that. Yeah. I think Fiji could do something very, very similar to what Japan did in 2015. Again, if they can get a scalp in the pool games, uh, you know, Wales or Australia, and can get through to the quarterfinals, then they'll back themselves. They'll, they'll back themselves to play faster than any other team, more physical than any other team. Um, they are probably faster and more physical than any other team. Um, the question about Fiji has always been their ability to play out of half or their ability to play 80 minutes. And that's still the same questions about the Drua in uh, in Super Rugby now. But they are definitely getting better than, than that. They would they just play they deservedly played a, a quarterfinal in Super Rugby this year, and I've got no doubt they'll be better again in 24. It's it's certainly a fun one to look forward to, and like I'll and I'll actually come to Mitch there for this one. Like it is, as we said kind of before recording, it is a really fascinating pool. See, it is it could be a, yes. a real lot of fun and. Maybe taking the Australian hat off. Um, I I kind of think the purpose of the podcast, but you you know where I'm going with this. What way do you see that group unfolding, just as a whole? Like even even Portugal and Georgia. Like what way do you see it going? Because it is very nip and tuck. Yeah, I, I think nearly every team will have that that fixture. They're they're trying to really ice. So for for Portugal, obviously for them that they'd love to get a, a World Cup win. So they're probably looking at. Georgia is the team that they're most likely to do that against. They, they or Wales. think that maybe they can... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Georgia beat Wales. Let's, let's go for the easier side. Um, yeah, I, I think each team is sort of looking for that fixture they want to hone in on. Um, for me, the real scary prospect is France because we've, we've spoken about Drua having like such a big, um, you know, a section of their squad and that gives them lovely cohesion. But the other thing, I believe they're the second most French Team there, they're going to have 18 or 19 players currently playing their trade yeah. in France. Um, very closely followed by Georgia. So we've got the second and third most French teams in uh, in a system. They're going to be really familiar with their surroundings, um, know the lay of the land, and it's just that could really help with subtle differences. So for me, I I really can't shake that Australia have a better player pool than the other teams are playing up against. Um, especially with Wales not at their strength at the moment, which seems so arrogant to say. Um, but even removing the bias, I don't think we're going to win the World Cup by any stretch, but I do think we should top the pool. I think Fiji probably will finish second. I think there's something about how they're building that's just really nice. Um, the challenge being whether they can you know, consistently perform. Um, we saw the slip-up, obviously, last time against Uruguay, and they've been known to you know go really well one week and then sort of drop off when they maybe are expected favourites. So... Yeah, to me, I do see it probably as Australia, Fiji, Wales, Georgia, and then Portugal, um, which, you know, hopefully the Welsh listeners, they can see Evans as a surname and realise I'm not too far descended from um, <laughs> them. I'm not wishing them ill, but I, I do think that they, I do think they're going to struggle quite a bit. Uh, and you just see the list of experienced players that have dropped off, like it's worse than Australia even, like no Alamon Jones or Chipper, if that's massive losses, Um it's yeah, so some interesting calls for them. So for me, I think Fiji are the real movers and shakers there. I think they'll they'll scrape into a quarterfinal, which is so so deserved for them. It will be. I feel like Pool C, no matter what happens, is going to be the pool of storylines. Insofar as if Australia do really well, they're hosting the next World Cup. Australia Rugby Union probably needs a good World Cup here, to be honest. Wales are oh, in absolute turmoil. Definitely, there's no question about that at all. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, yeah. I've said this before, but like about half the teams in this World Cup, you could do a proper deep dive in what state the game is actually in there. And it's most of them are not very good. Um, Fiji obviously have that strong top 14 representation and, you know, looking to, it was, it was 2007 in France when they knocked Wales out in the pools, mm-hmm. you know, and like there's just so much going on there. And uh, Brett, what way do you see the group going as, as a whole? Yeah, I probably can't disagree with 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 Mitch's thinking thinking there. It wouldn't surprise. I certainly hope Australia get through, and it wouldn't surprise me if Fiji go with them. Um, I, I'm not going to write Wales off, um, and you know they could they have a good summer nation series going into it. Then you know all of a sudden we might we might forget about everything that's that's happened um, been happening within Welsh rugby the last 
the last few months. So I'm certainly not going to write them off. Um, I think I think Fiji have a real opportunity, um, and then Australia have the expectation that that this draw will just deliver the results that they need. Uh, it's not going to be as easy as that, obviously. It never is. But I think they're the two that uh, probably go through at this stage, and that's and there's a good element of fingers crossed around that, obviously. Um, <laughs> but there's no there's no question at all that um, the Rugby Australia, are, the, the, the suits are absolutely sweating on a quarterfinal and probably a semifinal appearance, which is just mad levels of expectation because um, once you get to knock out rugby, you know, it's, it only needs to be a late offside penalty or something like that. And that sends you home. So I, again, it's why I think they'll just be thinking about getting through the pools first and foremost, uh, and then anything can happen after that. So, but yeah, Wales, uh, Wales are going to need to start well. I mean, Australia's going to need to start well, but Wales, I think, especially are going to need to start well. Um, and, you know, they probably need to go on a roll and they, if they're going to get through, they probably need to win all their games um, because I think if they drop one, then there'll be a chance of dropping another one. Yeah. Well, Wales and Fiji is the first game in that group. Well, in yeah. for, for them, and it's in Bordeaux. Yeah. And there will yeah. be plenty of Irish fans in Bordeaux this that weekend. I'm not going to tell the Irish fans who will be in Bordeaux that weekend who to follow, but, you know, <laughs> we know. Yeah, they know, they know, they know. Yeah, yeah, they know. We don't call them the flying Fijians because they play a very passive brand of rugby at the end of the day. <laughs> um, yeah. we've, we've and, they, and they've got, and they've got arguably the best away strip in the yeah. tournament, that, oh, that, that black and red number is incredible. It really is. Um, a friend of the pod does an awful lot of um, cape work, uh, Hugh Griffin over on Twitter, and he was just going through like Nike. And you'd be surprised how little like jerseys Nike have or Adidas have. But my God, Nike faded out of the park for this World Cup. Yeah, Maybe, maybe yeah. not the South Africa away shirt, I wouldn't be a fan of it, but like the Argentina jerseys are. Wow. No, yeah. no. Yeah. But South Africa's main strip is is great. Um, Argentina, yeah. uh, both Argentina strips are, are fantastic. So yeah, Nike have um, have done have done very very well this year. And then there's Ireland, the Irish one, which a lot of people are pretty torn on, like pretty much torn. Yeah. There's even fighting about yeah. having the names on the jerseys, which is uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Not a like, not a fan about that. That's that's just a that's just a summer nation thing. Isn't it? Yeah, no. I, well, we don't know if it'll last for the World Cup or not, to be honest. But uh, you know, I hope not. <laughs> there was a bit of confusion last um, autumn, anyway, because all the Australian jerseys had Santos, and then all the English jerseys and that had like names on them. You didn't know which one was actually. You know, oh. are the Australians actually called Santos? They're not. But, <laughs> you know, some people yeah. did actually get confused. That's the fifteen Santos brothers. Yeah, <laughs> cousins, I believe they were, but um. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll kind of wrap it up here, lads. I know I've got your prediction for Pool C, which I don't always do, but it's just such an enticing pool. But if Australia aren't going to win the World Cup, and I'm not not saying you're going to say they won't, but prior answers make me suggest you won't. Mm. Um, if it's not going to be them, which way do you see it going? And you don't have to say Ireland just because you're on an Irish podcast. <laughs> Oh, it's it's uh, gonna be it's it's gonna be interesting. Like on the other side, France, Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa, they've they've all got claims at this point in time. And I don't think that those claims will diminish too much through the pools. So they'll all get through um Ireland and France being in the same pool is is mad isn't it it really is and it's what we have seen this year is the folly of of world cup of world rugby deciding to do the draw based on seedings at the end of 2020 wasn't it like they did the draw december 2020 yeah. yeah that was just and and the argument that they used about um you know tour groups and things like that is just it's insane it makes no sense at all and and that's been shown up um, in in the years subsequent. Even if they had given it twelve months more, which 
probably would have been accepted. Uh, it's I a lion's ear, though, is the only pushback there. You'd probably have to push it till after the Six Nations is kind of the consensus yeah. here, which I'd agree with, because yeah. at least then that kind of so balances out the, the lion's we've, side. We've done it this. We've done it that way before, haven't we? We've certainly yeah, not... Not not made seedings three years out. That's just yeah. too. We've all seen it. Too much can change in a four year cycle. And so, if you're talking, if 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 four year cycles are now a thing going into World Cups, then why would you make base the the seedings on the first year of that four year cycle? It doesn't make any sense to me. So we're getting off off track here now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's huge expectation on France, and. Um, they're probably in no better place and no better form to deliver on that expectation in a World Cup than they've ever been. And um, it was put to me recently that you know if they can't if they can't get through to a World Cup final, it's in played in their country with the team they've got currently and the form they're in, then when will they win a World Cup? And that's a hard argument to to try and mount against. So I think they are going to be. The favourites, I, th- I think, and then Ireland, South Africa, uh, New Zealand um, are just going to be ready for them to slip up, and all three would be capable of of pouncing on it at the, at the time, and and that will be curious. It's interesting. It's a it's a lot of fun in terms of that side of the draw playing each other in the quarterfinals. Not for an Irish perspective, don't get me wrong, but it is for a Minutia perspective. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. it's been pointed out. I've mentioned this on the pod as well, but just for your own interest the only team to beat New Zealand or Ireland prior to a final and win their next game is Australia in 91 they bet both coincidentally yeah but it just shows like typically when you have to rise to play to beat a huge team say it can be very hard to bounce back the following week do you know and that's what's going to have to happen here like that's where Mm. I see like if England or Australia fluke the way to a world cup because of this i will absolutely hate it but like it could well happen like we <laughs> we can't just say it yeah. won't and like mitch are you going to tip france as well um or which way do you see it going no um i i'm going to tip new zealand uh I, I i love new zealand i think they're they're you know you could call it a form drop i guess you know comparative to their previous 10 years but their their slight blip sort of back end of um you know 2021 and start of 2022 and little bits and pieces sort of falling off i think that was blown out of proportion quite a lot uh foster was chopping and changing his team so much 2021 i think it was 46 players used there's no consistency people chopped and changed and i think of the 46 every single one of them except offer tuanga farsi started a match like he was just really rearranging the deck chairs just to try and work out, okay, what's my order? What's my preference? Where are they all sitting? Um, for me, and especially just, I guess, with my age and the rugby I've watched, I'm so burned by New Zealand. I, I think that, so obviously the benchmark um, in every single match I, I watch, um, I don't have any fear of South Africa. I, I don't think that they're a, you know, a, a team that when Australia goes up against them, I'm not that concerned, especially, I should say, on neutral turf or in Australia. That they're not a, a bother for me. Ireland and France are in great form, but you know, last year with Rennie's ravaged, you know, lot very close to both of them away from home. Um, it, it's always New Zealand to me. I, th- I think they've peaked now at the right time. Foster's had all this year of chops and changes. He's now got insanely driven um, assistance, especially Jason Ryan, probably the standout. But you know, Joe Schmidt's coming into the scene as well. There's a, a few people that have stepped in there. Now, every time I watch them play. I just think they've got this kit that could deliver um, a tool nearly for every occasion. And I think there's not really a team around the world that just 1 to 15, 16 to 23, 24 to 33 is just as skillful and can pick up pieces just on the fly like they can. So, um, yeah, to me, I, I still think they're the favourites and I think they'll appreciate being underdogs for a little while and, you know, for not being calling his favorites but i think they're going to show that they're really you know they're a dominant force foster's got nothing to lose he knows he's on the way out so he's taking everyone down with him on the way through and and, and saying hey new zealand rugby you are you made a pretty big mistake here's what it was yeah it's it's mad to think that on episode two i had 
Jamie Wall, New Zealand journalist on, he said New Zealand are not winning this World Cup. And now I just had an Australian <laughs> person coming on saying they will. You really couldn't write that if you tried. Because that's yeah. never the, yeah, the scenario. Ki- Kiwis, Kiwis scrambling for the underdog status is not new in this part of the world. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe not down there. Up here where, you, where, where <laughs> we'd think it, that's a very odd stance to take, but maybe not down yeah. there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, lads, that's that, like that's all we've time for, but thank you so much for, for joining me. This has been a really enjoyable pod first and foremost and for for those listening at home that brings our first look at pool c to a close possibly the the real pool of death next week i'll be joined by the worrap or the welsh regional rugby appreciation podcast lads to talk about wales who bitch is riding off already and brett um, before shifting attention to the old enemy of england with the preview of the pool d favorites and a recap of Ireland's clash with them on Sunday next. So thanks at home to everyone for listening. If you do like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. You can find the links to my channels below, as well as the links to Lads' Twitter pages and podcasts, both all of which I highly recommend. But for now, until next time, take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.